Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. Here we go. Hope you're doing well. My name is Ezra. As you've heard, I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church. Such a privilege to, to be here. I would like to say a huge thank you to Matt and Gary and Ernie and everyone else who's involved in the leadership of this church for entrusting me with your pulpit this morning. Uh, we, continue, we at Northview continue to pray for this congregation as you continue to journey down the road of discerning the next lead pastor. So you're not alone. We are praying for you as well, and we trust that the Lord would come through for this congregation and bring on board an individual who will clarify the gospel continually, for we all would agree that Chilliwack needs a strong gospel witness. There are many who live in this city who do not know Jesus, and so we want to see Christ proclaimed in this town, and so we pray to that end. I've been given an enormous task, and the enormous task is to actually preach about what, this, um, what is the second coming of Christ? What is the second coming of Christ? This is a huge topic. In fact, this is an entire seminary class. And I only have 40 minutes. Oh, wow. You will want to look at your bulletin because the, there's an outline over there that will be very helpful. And if you have a pen, you might want to be jotting a few things down. I'll give you some handles to help uh, move you along. Here Now the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear regarding the coming of uh, the second coming of Christ. The Bible is clear in its teaching on the second coming of uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible will teach that the Savior, the Savior's second coming will be a personal and physical coming. So Christ will come personally and physically. He's not going to send someone. It's not going to be this spiritual coming back. No. He will come very personally. He'll also come very physically. He'll come visibly and triumphantly. So visibly you will see him and he'll come with tremendous power, triumph, uh, with, with great triumph he will come to, to reign. When he comes, he'll come to end, um, to end human history. He will come to, to raise the dead and judge the world. He will come to impart to God's children the final victory. This is what Jesus will come and do. The Bible is clear on these issues. For you to be Christian, you would have to believe that. Now, the question will be, so how will Jesus come back? So how? And, and when he comes, and when he comes, what are some of the events that will take place before, during, and after his second coming? What will take place there? So that's what we'll be talking about today. So just to unpack, as to, uh, to show you the various stages that we'll be going through, we'll go through three stages. The first, I'll give you definitions. So I'll be using terminology here. So I want you to understand my terms. So I'll define the terms for you first, up front. Then secondly, we'll look at the theology part. Now the theology part, you'd have to wear your thinking cap. And follow along. I'll try to be very clear. I'll try and be as clear as I possibly can with the theology part. And then at the end, it'll be the, okay, so what? So we've talked about all the theology, so how does that affect me? And trust me, this is huge for you. Okay? So let's go into the definitions first. It's not here yet. You're not here yet. This is just the definitions, but you can take notes if you'd like. So, I will use the term church age. I'll use the term church age. And when I say church age, I mean um, the time period between, remember Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, right? 
And then the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 comes down to the disciples who are in the upper room. And so once the Holy Spirit comes upon them, what happens after that is they go out and begin to proclaim the gospel. And there is where the church age begins. And so the church age will continue to unfold. We are currently living in the church age. And the church age will come to an end when Jesus comes back again. So the church age is the age that we're living in right now. And this age will come, at an end, come to an end when Jesus comes back. So that's the church age. Second word that I'll be using is tribulation. Tribulation. And this word, you will find it in um, Matthew 24, the words of Jesus. So the disciples had asked Jesus, so what will be the sign of the end of the age? Tell us the sign of the end of the age. And then Jesus will begin to tell them that there will be terrible things that will happen. A time of great distress. This is the tribulation. Time of great distress. There will be time of great apostasy. Apostasy means people falling away from the faith. So there will be tremendous apostasy happening. People falling away from the faith. Great distress. There will also be earthquakes and famines and wars and rumors of war during the tribulation. And there will also be false Christs, people who will start saying, oh, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. So there will be false Christs, and there will be antichrists as well, people who are anti the Lord Jesus. They will be there during the time of the tribulation. So when I say the term tribulation, you know, great distress, chaos, problems, troubles, wars, earthquakes, all these terrible things. That is the tribulation. Finally, a term that I will use is the millennium. The millennium, and you'll have there on your notes, millennium means. Millennium means 1,000 years. The millennium means 1,000 years. So this is the word that you'll find in Revelation chapter 20, the text that we will read this morning. And I ask you, pay attention to the text as we read it and see how many times this word, 1,000 years, appears or comes up in the text. So it's only mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. This word, this Christ will reign for a thousand years. So a thousand years is millennium. Okay? And it will appear about six times in the passage that we'll read. So, and, and, and for some, for some that will say, you know, this a thousand years, this a thousand years could be a literal one thousand years, or it could mean a very long time. You know, the way you would say, hey, I left you a a million messages. I left a thousand messages on your, on, your, on your machine. No, you didn't actually leave a thousand messages. You might have probably left four. But when you say, you know, I left a thousand messages, basically you realize that, yeah, I left you many. I left you several messages. You didn't get back to me, right? So some will look at this a thousand, and they will take it to mean um, a long time or a literal one thousand. And we'll unpack the various views. We'll see how we do. So let me read the text, and then we will jump in. So this is Revelation 20, verse 1 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw an angel. This is John writing. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the a thousand years are ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4. 
Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on, on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. When the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that were the fo- uh, at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the, pl- the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who, were, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophets were. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And there ends the reading of God's word. Now, point number one in your handout there. Point number one is there are four different views. There are different views of the millennium. There are different views of this 1,000 years. What do these 1,000 years mean? There are four different views. Now let me say up front here, these four different views are widely accepted in the evangelical world. They are widely accepted in the Christian world. Now there are more views, there are other views, but those other views are not accepted. These four that you will hear this morning are the ones that are widely, expected, um, widely accepted in the, in the Christian world. To help us understand what these views are, I will introduce them as four friends. Now, they are not enemies. They are not fighting with each other. They are four friends. And these are four friends, probably four friends you know. So, for instance, do you have a friend who is just plain and straightforward? There are no, there are no hidden agendas. He or she is just plain, straightforward, down-to-earth, plain Jane kind of a friend. You have a friend like this. No complication, no nothing. They're just straight up. This is who they are, plain Jane, no problem. Straightforward, okay? So that is friend number one. Friend number two is this friend whom if you have over to your house and you had dinner and then you're playing cards and then, or you're playing a board game and then now you come to this point in the game where you don't know what the rules say. So you guys kind of, it's about the fellowship. So you just make up the rules as you go. And this is the one who gets red in the face and says, no, 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 no. It, we have to do this. Where's the rule book? The, they, they take the rule book. It's very literal. Very literal. So it's letter of the law type of a friend. So sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to get along with, but it's okay. You know, they are very matter of fact. This is, so that is friend number two. Very literal, very, this is what the book says, this is what the rules say. Friend number two. Friend number three is your very optimistic friend. Things could be going terrible. You're, prob- you're probably losing and your very optimistic friend says, don't worry about it. You, the next round will be better for you. So they are always very optimistic. The next round in the game will be, it will totally go for you. Or the next time we'll play, you will win. 
Don't, don't swear. Don't worry about it. Don't feel bad. They're very optimistic. And then there is rule number, uh, friend number four. Friend number four who is very, very uh, analytical. Very, um, he's your artsy friend who will look for deeper meaning. So they will look at an, uh, an at a abstract painting and they'll say, I wonder what the artist was feeling. I wonder what message he or she was trying to express through this piece of art. You know a friend like this, right? So all these four friends are people you already know. You can see their faces in your head. Now, it might help you to write their names beside each point so that you can, <laughs> so that you can follow along, Okay. And the reason I say this is very strategic because these views, you can get lost in the, in the titles, but I don't want you, get, you to get lost in the titles. Even don't pay attention to what the, the names are, just listen to the argument. So we are now coming into the theology part of it. So this will probably keep it a little bit interesting. So we will pretend that your four friends are now in your house, you've just had dinner and dessert, and the reason they came was for them to tell you their views on the millennium. Okay. So we are pretending right now. Okay? Okay. So these four views. The first, these four views of the millennium, the first is the classic or the historical premillennialism. So this one would be Christ comes before. That's why we have the word premillennial. Christ comes before the 1,000 years, okay? This is your friend who's the plain Jane straightforward. Your plain Jane kind of friend. So when you come to a passage like, um, like the one we read in Revelation chapter 20, this is one who will take Revelation chapter 20 and they will say, you know what? Let's not start doing some big monkey business with it. Let's just read it plainly. It is a plain reading of the Bible. So let's even go one chapter before. So uh, Revelation chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, just stand there and I'll show you. So you will notice Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 will start saying, Then I saw heaven open. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and one sitting on it, it's called uh, True and Faithful. And then he goes on and on and on to unpack it. Jump down to verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called out to all the birds flying directly overhead. And then now go to chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hands the keys to the bottomless pit. Go to verse 4 of chapter 20. Then I saw the thrones and seated on them those whom authority to judge had been committed. Go down to um, verse 11 of chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him seated on it. And then go to chapter 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven. So you see, there is then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. So this classic guy will say this. This plain person will say, let us just plainly read the Bible. You don't need to be a rocket scientist here. Just read the Bible. You will see in Genesis chapter 19 verse 11 all the way to chapter 21, 22. You will see history being prophesied. So this is human history being told beforehand. So we are seeing a chronology of events that take place. 
So in chapter 19, this is the text. In chapter 19 verse 11, that talks about Christ coming with great power and great authority. Heaven opens up, this one in a white horse, meaning this is the king, the ruler, Christ coming in his glory. And out of his mouth, the text says, there's a sword that is coming out of his mouth. It's not a literal sword, but what it means is the weapon that Christ is using to subdue his enemies is his spoken word. So Christ speaks. He will not take a gun and shoot. He will not take an arrow and and fire. He will not take a spear and throw it at his enemies. No, Christ doesn't do this. He speaks. The same way he spoke creation into existence, Christ will speak and his enemies will be utterly crushed. This is the glorious Christ that is being presented in Revelation 19. Okay? So the plain guy is saying, look, the the classic premillennialist is saying... This is human history unfolding here. Being told beforehand. So, what is the position? How does the position go? Now, this is how the position goes. Now, you will see in, in, in the Old Testament, there are some very interesting passages in the Old Testament. Some, so, for instance, passages you'll find in Isaiah 65. In Psalm 72, you will find these passages there. You'll also find it in Isaiah chapter 11. This is the passage that I'll read for you briefly. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 says this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. So just think about what we're reading here. The wolf, we know about wolves. Go north, up north, you'll find a lot of wolves. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Where on earth does a leopard and a young goat lie down? Do they ever hold hands and sing Kumbaya? No. <laughs> they don't do this. You would never, even in the zoo, take a leopard and put it where the sheep are. You wouldn't do this. Why? Because you know what the leopard will do. It is time for dinner. So, it goes on. The calf and the lion. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. They'll be together and the little child shall lead them. A little child will lead the, 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 the calf and the lion and the fattened calf. So the lion is not eating these calves. And the child is the one who's leading them. Verse 7 of Isaiah, 7, Isaiah chapter 11. The cow and the bear shall graze. Think about it. The cow and the bear. Some of you probably are hunters. Would a bear and a cow hang? No. And the young shall lie, and, the, and they are young, they are young, I, uh, uh, the, the, the cub of a, of, a, of a bear and the, and the calf of a cow will lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. Some of you have your children in the kids, kids' church right now, right? Supposing I told you when there are snakes there, what would you do? You'd be up and running to see where your child is because you know cobras and children don't play well together. <laughs> they don't. But then the passage says, And the weaned child shall put his hand in the other's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God as the waters over the face of the sea. So... What's going on here? We are, there is an age, there is a period of time that is being described here that is totally unlike what you and I would know, right? 
We have never known of any time in human history to date where you will see a leopard and a young goat hanging out together. Where you will see the calf, the lion and the fattened calf together and a child leading them. We've never seen children playing with poisonous snakes. Throughout human history, we've never seen a time such as these. So, but then we also know that this is not describing heaven either. Why? Because you have this nursing child, which means this child was born recently. We know in heaven we will not be given over to marriage. So there will be no marriage in heaven. We will not be, recre- will not be producing and creating. So there will not be pregnancy in heaven. We know this from the text of scripture. So if that's the case, what's being described here will happen on earth at a specific time. What time? The classic premillennialists will say that this golden age will be the millennium. Okay? When Jesus Christ comes to reign on earth in a thousand years, these strange things will happen during that time. So, how does it play out in human history? So, this is how it plays out. So, Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven. Correct? The Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 comes upon the disciples, and then the church is born, right? In Acts chapter 2. Now we're in the church age. Today we're in the church age. Before the millennium begins, before the millennium begins, there will be a time of tremendous tribulation of which the church will have to endure. The church will endure. The, 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 the tribulation. So we are not going to be out of the tribulation. We'll be right in the thick of it. Days will be dark. Things will be terrible. We will endure the tribulation. And then suddenly, suddenly, unexpectedly, Christ will come. The heavens will open. And Christ will come down on a white horse. And he will totally uh, destroy the evil forces. Satan will be grabbed, tied, and thrown into a prison. This bottomless pit that we have seen in Revelation chapter 20. As Satan is tied up and put away, all those Christians, all the Christians who would have died during the, th- the church age, all the Christians who would have died during the church age, so this means your great-grandma who was a Christian, your grandfather who was a Christian, your mom and dad, your loved ones who died away, who died as Christians, they will be brought back to life when Christ comes, when the heavens are open and he comes in a white horse with a sword of his word coming out of his mouth, totally subduing all his enemies, at this point immediately those who are dead in Christ will come back to life. And when they come back to life, they will be given a resurrected body, the same body that Jesus has. This body that will never die. This body that will never get sick. This body that will be ready to live forever and ever. They will receive it then. But those who died outside of Christ will still remain dead. So Satan has been put away. And then now Christ begins to reign. And so we'll see the lion and the lamb hanging out together. The the leopard and the young goat together. The child playing with these poisonous animals together. The earth will be tremendously peaceful for a thousand years. This a thousand years is not necessarily a literal one thousand years. It's just a long time. And Christ will now demonstrate what true government is. 
He will demonstrate what true leadership is because we do not know what true leadership is. Yeah, we have some good leaders, but they're not all together perfect. There's always injustice in the in the system at some point, the system breaks down here and there because the human justice system, human political system is flawed. When Christ comes to reign, you will see. You will, he will now demonstrate what true leadership looks like. He will reign with peace and righteousness. And then once the a thousand years is over, Satan will be let loose. Now, during these a thousand years as Christ is reigning on earth, there will be people coming to, non-Christians who will be on earth at that time. Many, but not all, will become Christians. Many, but not all, will become Christians. So those who will remain non-Christian, yes, they will still bow the knee to Christ, but inwardly, oh man, they are seething, seething against him. Seething against him. So at the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose. And when he, he's let loose, he will gather all these ones who are seething against Christ. He will gather them together so that they fight against Christ and against God's chosen ones. You and I. So the classic premillennialists will say, you, Christian, you'll be alive during that time. And you will see Satan gathering the people to fight against you and against Christ. But Christ, in one word will speak destruction over them. Satan will be taken, thrown into the lake of fire, where he will remain forever and ever. And then at that point, all those who died, who are not Christian, will be brought back to life. Them, together with the other non-Christians who are alive and seething inside, they will all stand before Christ for the final judgment. And after they are judged, they will be sent to the outer darkness, is the language that the scripture uses, but basically... They'll be sent to hell. And then those who are found in Christ will now come into heaven. And then the new heavens and the new earth, what Eldon was speaking about last week. So that is your friend who reads the Bible plainly. Now remember, we are still in your living room. Round table. Okay? So now, that is the first guy. Now the second guy who is, the second person who is um, around your table is the dispensational premillennialist. And the dispensational premillennialist is, is, is this person who believes that Christ will come, Christ will come uh, after, Christ will come, no, no, no let's say Christ come before the tribulation and the millennium, but he will also say that Christ will not just come back once, but he'll come back two times. Christ will come back not just once, but he'll come twice. That's the distinction between the two. So, this is the view. This is the person who is very, let us read the, the rules. Let us read the rules. This is the person who believes this dispensational premillennialist view. That's how they read the Bible. Let's make sure we read every single thing and take it literally. So remember in the Old Testament, Jesus gave, gave some forever and ever verses, right? So Jesus in the Old Testament gave some forever and ever uh, promises to the nation of Israel. Did he not? He did. And some of those prophecies that Jesus gave or God gave to the nation of Israel have not yet received or have not yet seen their full fulfillment. So that being the case, God is not one not to keep his promise. So the dispensational premillennialist will say that there is a distinct difference between the nation of Israel and the church. All the other views would say, no, 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 no. 
All the promises that God gave to the nation of Israel find their fulfillment in Jesus. And the dispensational guy will say, not a chance. There are certain promises that God gave to the nation of Israel that are specific to Israel. And not only that, he will say. He will say, if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, the scriptures say, For the Lord himself, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. In other words, this is the rapture. So they would believe now in the rapture. So now let us unpack what this means. So your friend who is the dispensational premillennialist who believes that Jesus Christ will come, before the, will come before the tribulation, before the millennium, will say this. Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. Correct? The Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 came down and the church age began. So you and I are in the church age right now. So the church age unfolds, church age unfolds, and before the tribulation, before the tribulation comes. So this time of great chaos, and because why would God send a tremendous tribulation over his people as well? God would never do this. So before the tribulation, Christ will come. Suddenly, unexpectedly, he will come, but not all the way down. He will come and hang out in the clouds where the aeroplanes are. So he'll come and he'll hang out there. And the dead in Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the dead in Christ will be brought back to life and they will float up. They'll go up and meet Christ up in the air. And those who are alive will follow on and join them. This is the Left Behind series. So they'll go up and hang out with Christ. And then there will be people left behind. And those left behind are those who are now Christians. And those now Christians have gone and met Christ in the sky. They will go to heaven with Jesus and hang out there for seven years. Now you may say, why seven years? That is, um, would have, if we had more time, I would have unpacked Daniel's prophecy. Complicated. Ignore that. Just know they'll be up in heaven for seven years with Jesus. While they are gone, while they are gone to heaven for seven years, what now happens on earth within those seven years is the tribulation. And during the tribulation, all these forever and ever promises that God gave to the nation of Israel, they will now begin finding their fulfillment. Because during the great tribulation, the Jews, many will come to saving faith. Oh, many will come to saving faith. They will begin coming to saving faith and they will have evangelistic... um, um, Mission trips and programs and things like that. Alpha and so on. But during tremendous tribulation, there will be chaos. But the Jews will now begin coming to saving faith during these seven years. Many of them will be persecuted over these seven years. And then after the seven years are done, Christ will now come back physically, personally, visibly, triumphantly. He will come down to earth with all the Christians whom he had taken to heaven with. Now they will all come down to earth. And when they come, Satan will be bound, thrown into the pit. Christ will come with tremendous power, subdue all his enemies. And then he will reign on the earth for a literal 1,000 years. And during these 1,000 years, 
The lion and the lamb shall hang out together. The leopard and the young goat will hang out together. Kids will be leading, playing with cobras and so on and so forth. This golden age will be happening. The earth will be tremendously fruitful and there will be no chaos for a literal 1,000 years. Once the 1,000 years end, just like the, the previous view, Satan will be released, gather together those who will be seething against Christ, Christ's reign, they will gather together, rally them, great rebellion against God, but then God will ultimately defeat them. Satan will be thrown to the, the lake of fire. And then those who are dead, but non-Christians, at that point will be brought back to life. They'll be judged and sent to hell. And Christians will now enter into heaven. The end. That is your dispensational, very literal, literal friend. There are two more seated now opposite these two, kind of like doing this. Okay, really, really, really? So now the optimistic friend says, you know what? That story is not all that bad. Your optimistic friend is the post-millennialist who will say Christ comes after the millennium. Christ will come after the millennium. So what this post-millennialist friend of yours, this optimistic one, will say this. Look, Jesus, Jesus Christ gave two parables. He gave two parables. And they're both found in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, 31 says, Matthew 13, 31, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests on its branches. So in other words, Jesus gives a parable talking about the kingdom of God. And how it is, at the beginning it's tiny. So imagine, if you move to this area, if you move to an area where the, there is no gospel witness, you're alone. And so God plants you there. And once God has planted you there, you begin to evangelize. And as you begin to evangelize, he becomes a Christian, and so does she, and the one behind, and the one behind. And before you know, the entire community is now becoming Christian, according to this parable. Mustard seed, the smallest seed, but once it grows, it becomes the dominant tree, the dominant plant in the garden. Not only there, he goes on in Matthew 13, verse 33, he says, and he also told them another parable. What does this one say? The kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. In other words, when your grandma or your mom was baking bread, what did she do? She took flour, put it in a, in a, in a, in a bowl, a big one. And then she probably just took half a, half a teaspoon full of yeast and spread it over the, 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 the flour, and then she mixed it. And then she put water in it and made dough that had yeast in it, and she left it over the counter for three hours. What would have happened to that dough? It would rise. So in other words, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a woman who took a little leaven and put it in three measures of flour. It will infect the entire dough. So the post-millennialist friend, your optimistic friend will say, look guys, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, he said, this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations as a testimony, then the end will come, is what Jesus said. So if it is going to be proclaimed to all nations, 
Before the end comes, we know that the gospel is like a mustard seed planted. It becomes the dominant, the dominant plant. We know that it's like yeast put in dough such that it will affect the whole, the whole dough. So in other words, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will begin, as we proclaim Christ, people, more and more people become Christian, 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 Christian. So the world will become Christian. Not that everyone will become, not everyone will become a Christian, but the world will become more Christian as human history unfolds. If these parables are true, we know Jesus does not lie. So, as we continue proclaiming Christ, the world will get more Christian, and as it becomes more Christian, the millennium will be ushered in, where everyone in the world will bow the knee to the lordship of Christ during this millennium, because we'll be. So Christian. We'll have a Christian community, Christian government, Christian way of doing business, Christian everywhere. Christian is what the post-millennialist will say. And at that point, at that point, Jesus now will come suddenly, swiftly. And at that point, those who are dead in Christ will be brought back to life side by side with the non-Christian. So the Christian and the non-Christian alike will be brought back to life and judgment. When judgment occurs, the Christian will go to heaven, the non-Christian to the outer darkness, the end. That is what the post-millennialists will say. Very optimistic, saying, no, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. But finally, the amillennialist friend who has been listening to all these things around your table and has asked for more ice cream, because this conversation has gone on too long. And he'll say, look, this amillennialist is one who would say this is a realized millennium. A realized millennium. So he will say that when you read the, 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 the book of Revelation, you don't read it chronologically. You read it theologically. Not chronologically, but theologically. So in other words, the book of Revelation is describing a single event. The coming of the Messiah. Describing a single event. So I'll give you an example. Have you ever gone to the fair with, with a little five-year-old, a 12-year-old, a teenager, and obviously you're there. So the three of you are at the, sh at the fair. And maybe you took grandpa to boot. And so you're all at the fair. And so you're there, there are many rides, and there's cotton candy, and there's all this chaos, and the little um, clowns are all over the place and everything, right? And lots of, lots of people. Then you finish, then you go back home, and you sit down, and grandma was there making her nice meal for all of you. Then you now arrive at home, and grandma will go straight to the youngest. How was the fair, honey? And what would the young ones say? Oh, there were big teddies and there were clowns and everything else. And then she would talk to the teenager who would say, Man, there was the zipper. You know, this was the, the zipper is the wildest ride in a fair. There was a zipper and it was great and people were throwing up and it was, ooh, but it was fun and it was great and all these things. Wow. And then grandma will come and talk to you and ask, how was the fair? Oh, yeah. Do you remember our neighbor so-and-so? Yeah, I saw her there and she was pregnant and there was this and that. You're all describing the same event from different perspectives, aren't you? This is what the amillennialists will say, that the book of Revelation is describing the same event from different perspectives, different views. We look at the book of Revelation theologically, not chronologically. So theologically, how? 
Revelation 20 will talk about Satan being bound and thrown into the pit. This is not necessarily going to happen in the future. They are going to argue to say it already happened. When? Remember in Matthew 12, Jesus had just performed a miracle and the disciples, no, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were saying, oh, you're using Satan's power to do that? And then Jesus will say, come on now, Satan cannot work against himself, can he? No, he can't. So, if you come to plunder someone's house, you have to bind the strong man first before you plunder the house. So the army Lanelli's friend, your very analytical friend, will say, look here, this is the deal. Satan was bound when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. And the reason Jesus bound Satan is because Satan was basically, has been deceiving the nations. So in order for the gospel message to go forward in great power, Satan has to be bound so that he stops deceiving the nations. So any gospel work is the work of undeceiving the nations. That is what gospel work is. So Satan has already been bound. We are currently in the millennium. Christ is currently reigning in heaven. Why? Because we know when he went up to heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God, right? Yeah, so Christ is already reigning right now. So we are in a realized millennium. And yes, there will be chaos, there will be wars and rumors of war. Let me ask you a question. What's happening in Syria with ISIS right now? Chaos. Many people are being beheaded there, right? How many rumors of wars have you heard in the news? Almost every day you turn on the news, there's rumors of war. How many earthquakes? How many tsunamis? Is our world a good place? No, it is not a good place. There's always chaos happening. Chaos after chaos. What happened in Ottawa the other day? So the amillennialists will say, see, the tribulation is already here. But the millennium is also here because Christ is already reigning. But then, the church age will come to an end suddenly and abruptly when Christ will come. And when he comes, the living the, the, the Christian and the non-Christian who died will be raised immediately, side by side, and they'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the Christian will receive his eternal life, and the non-Christian will go to eternal damnation, the end. That is the, your amillennialist friend. Now you may ask the question real quick here, so which one is right? <laughs> which one is right? See, it is worth noting that all these views, all those four views, they all adorn the gospel, all of them. They are widely accepted because they all adorn the gospel. All of them. They all adorn the gospel. And it's only that one will honor parts of the Bible that the other views would honor less. So the amillennialists will honor part of the Bible that the premillennialists may, may honor less. But they're all friends together. So churches that would say, oh, we are premillennialists and, and, and we are the right ones. And this one will say, oh, we are postmillennialists or are millennialists. And they are fighting against This is wrong. They are all friends. They all honor the gospel. Which one is right? You see here at Central Community Church at Northview where I come from in Abbotsford. In, within the MB church family, this is what we believe regarding this issue. We do not hold one view over the other. We don't hold one view over the other. We believe that our Lord Jesus Christ will return visibly and triumphantly at the end of the present age. The church must always be prepared to meet our Lord and live in expectation for his imminent return. That's what we believe. 
So we are not holding one view over the other. Now, you can debate and decide, okay, oh, I feel more inclined to this one, or I feel more inclined, to, and we can have good, robust debates, but we're all friends together. What's the main point? Now, you may sit there and wonder, so what? So what? What is the response? Our response to the second coming, what is this response? I'll direct you to, math, uh, to Acts chapter 6. I'm almost done here. Acts chapter, chapter 1, sorry. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. The disciples asked Jesus the same question. And the disciples said, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Meaning, will you at this time come in your glory? Because he's already resurrected. Will you at this time restore the, 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 kingdom, uh, the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes, to you, uh, comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I will stop there. So they asked, Are you going to come right now and restore the kingdom? Come in your glory and power. He said, No, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. But you'll receive power. Be my witnesses. They didn't ask him just this once. They had asked him before, previously, in Matthew 24. They asked him, Matthew 24, verse 3. They said, what will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? Matthew 24, 3. They asked this question there. And Jesus responded about 33 verses later with this response. He said, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know the Son, but the Father only. Verse 44 of Matthew 24. Therefore you, must, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man's coming. He will come at an hour that you do not expect. The Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. So be ready. And then it is interesting, Jesus continues to talk in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, he'll give two other parables. The parable of the ten virgins and the, bar- the parable of the talents. What's the point of all these, par- these two parables? Be ready. Be ready for the coming of the Messiah. So I'll give you an example. So my wife and I have three children. My son Caleb, my son Caleb was born in 2005. He's my firstborn. So I'm married to my wife. This is my first child coming. So my little wife, my wife is short, her name is Samara, she's a little woman, tall, this tall. So my wife is now pregnant with a little one. So yeah, she's, the, the first time we re- oh, morning sickness, and then, oh, she's now beginning to show, we're like, oh, then we go for the ultrasound, and we see these little pictures, and we are posting them on Facebook, as most people do. You know, Facebook is the place you announce everything. <coughs> so posting them and all that, we are telling people this is what's going on and all that. And so... We're very excited then, you know, me as the new dad-to-be, what do I do? I decide, you know, honey, we've got to go and get the best crib ever. So we go to the bay or we go to Sears. We want to buy a crib. I look at the price and I almost fall over. What? A thousand bucks for a crib? No way. Craigslist. So we go on Craigslist. (laughs) And so we are looking for this crib and everything. And we're asking friends, oh, do you have this and do you have that? Baby is coming, right? So I'm preparing myself, so uh, even how I'm spending my money, I'm kind of thinking, oh, you know, we can't buy a new car right now. We, we can't do this. You know, I have to start saving up for college. This child is not yet born yet, but I'm thinking college is coming, you know, RESPs and all this. I'm thinking, for my boy is coming. My son is coming, you know. 
And then at home, uh, so, and, and she's getting gets bigger and bigger. And so guests are coming to visit. And we are talking about all sorts of things. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm thinking, oh dear. You know, it's not like, oh my dear. And I say, oh dear. She's, she's out there. Oh boy. And, and people we're talking, we're talking about. So people come to visit. And one, we'll talk about many things, Canucks, my family in Africa, all these other things we are talking about, right? But then we'll somehow talk about the child and show the room. We painted the room yellow, or we painted it blue, or whatever we painted it. And we, we are showing all these people how we are preparing for the coming of our child, right? Right. And what are you talking about? Knowing fully well that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Jesus coming back again? So what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Knowing fully well that your Lord is coming back again. You see, as a new parent, you're not going to buy a boat. You're not going to buy a motorbike with your money. Everything you're spending your money on has something to do with the child who is coming, right? So are you spending your money in a way that will show that you're greatly waiting your Messiah? How are you living your life? As a new dad, I had to make sure that, okay, so all my Yahoo trips, oh, I like to go this, and all my adventures, I have to be careful with the things that I choose to the dangers I choose to expose myself to. Why? Because this little one is coming. So how I live my life matters now. Because the little one will be watching me. How are you living your life? Knowing that the Son of God, your Savior and Lord is coming. What are you talking about? I will end with this verse. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us. The grace of God now has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Have you renounced these? Ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. May that be true of you as you await the coming of your Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. I ask, Lord, that you would help us now to focus our minds on readying ourselves for your coming, your second coming. Lord, we surely don't know how you will come. We know that you will come, but we don't know the, whether it will be before the tribulation, after, or whatever. The debate goes on. But one thing is clear, Lord. You're calling us to ready ourselves. So, Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here listening. 
would you help us to ready ourselves for your imminent return. Commend us us now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.